Welcome, Harvest Church family, and thank you for joining us this week for our sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged with the message prepared. Right now, let's listen in to this week's message. The message that I have for you today is called The Righteousness of the Pharisees. And as I was talking to Pastor Perry about it, he wanted me to, he encouraged me to make sure that this message uplifted you and encouraged you this morning. Because the truth of the matter is, this passage that we're going to look at, which is found in Matthew 23, is probably some of the harshest words that Jesus used against a group of people. You vipers, you hypocrites, who is going to save you from hell? He was like coming down on these people. And that's what we're going to look at today. But I thought to myself, my heart is that you're encouraged by the end of this message. And so I decided I'm going to give you the end of my message first, because that's where it all kind of comes together, the end of the message. I didn't tell this to the text, so I'm going to jump to the end and look at Psalms 112. If you have your Bibles, and you should, I invite you to turn there with me. And before I read it, I just want to take a moment to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity I have to come before your people and bring your word. God, this is the word that you've laid on my heart, and therefore it must be for this, these people today. I pray, God, that it's seasoned with salt and that our hearts would be good ground to receive what it is you have for us. God, trusting, as I preached last time, that it's for our good that you tell us what you tell us and you challenge us in the ways that you challenge us. So help us to receive, help me to give this word clearly. And in the midst of it, we pray that you are glorified and people are pointed to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people who agreed said, Amen. Amen. Psalm 112 says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. This, the generation of the upright, will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright, for he is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be maintained forever. Verse 7, he is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. We'll leave it there. God's heart for you is that you wouldn't have to fear As has been said time and time and time and time and time and time again, the world is kind of crazy right now, right? Gas prices and rent and shootings and wars and rumors of wars. It can be an unsettling time and many of us might be sitting here thinking like, you know, what can I do to just get through the week? What do you have for me, Pastor? What do you got for me to help me get to Friday, to get to next Sunday? What do you got for me to help me be assured that I can make my rent payment on time or that my lights won't get cut off or that I might not have to make a choice between groceries or something else. What do you have for me today that helps me in this endeavor? 
The answer actually is righteousness. This year, our theme is a future and a hope. God has plans for us in the midst of whatever's going on in the world. But our part is to seek after God's righteousness. Now, Harvest, we're a good church. Everybody blow that? We're a healthy church. It's a lot of churches with a lot of issues out there. And while Harvest is far from perfect, if for no other reason than I attend here, we... (laughs) Are a pretty darn good church. Pastor comes up here constantly and talks about how generous you are, how you're faithful in your attendance, how you're healthy and you participate in life groups and the work of the ministry gets it done here. And as Pastor Perry is preparing to retire and move on, the call for us today is to stay the course, to dig deeper, to not relent or to rest on our laurels about how good we may or may not be. We can't compare ourselves to other people. Comparison is a fool's errand. We can't do that. We can't look at another church or another group and be like, well, you know, at least, at least we're not them. We need to examine our own selves because it's God's desire that we always move from glory to glory and from faith to faith to always be coming up. Here's, here's a thought for free today. The covenant of works, which was the first covenant established in the Old Testament, was not abolished. Okay. It is still the requirement to enter heaven is to be perfect. That requirement's not gone. It's just that we couldn't do it. Jesus came and when he died on the cross, he lived a perfect life and we trade our sin for his righteousness and his works are credited to our account. But we don't earn righteousness. We don't earn this. It's a gift of God. But the covenant of works still had to be satisfied. As a matter of fact, when Jesus came in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, he said this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. No, no, no. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away or disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you this, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, we hear that today, and the thing that's interesting to me is that it doesn't seem like we're all that bothered by that. Like, oh, okay, righteousness got to exceed the Pharisees, all right. Some say, you know, and, and this is probably true, this is likely what he's talking about. The reason that it's okay is because what he's really talking about is the glorious message of the gospel. He knows that he's going to the cross and he will be resurrected. And therefore, when we accept him, like you just said, Pastor Markel, his righteousness becomes our righteousness and it's not our own works. And therefore, we can breathe a sigh of relief. We don't have to really worry about that. We don't have to worry about our righteousness exceeding the Pharisees. 
I hope that's what he meant. I think it's not always a wise game to play to, to assume that everything that Jesus was telling people in the moment, although he did have the cross on the mind, he still was dealing with people where they were at that time. For him to say, do this, he wasn't, there's not an asterisk, right? There's not, this is what I say until after the cross, then it's not that big a deal, right? What he's asking us to do, he's asking us to do. Because here's the thing, though. Those of us who indeed have the righteousness of God will prove that righteousness by the works that we do. So the works don't save us, but the works are the fruit, the proof that we indeed have Christ's righteousness. James 2.7 says, so also by faith itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. So show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Ephesians says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what was in God's mind beforehand, before the cross, the good works that you ought to be doing. Okay. The proof of your saving faith to the watching world is the demonstration of your integrity. I know a pastor at an old church of mine, and he hated being called pastor. Not because he just, he was weird about the title, but what he realized was is that the title can sometimes, in the minds of the average layperson, create like a disconnect between how the pastor's supposed to live versus how the layperson's supposed to live, right? You the pastor, you ain't supposed to smoke. You the pastor, you ain't supposed to drink. As though there's something like different. You, you know what I did to become a pastor? I went to college, how many of gone to college? I took a test, anybody ever take a test? I had an interview, anybody ever took an interview? Now I'm not trying to downplay it, but like, you know, I mean, I'm just a guy. I'm just another, I'm, I'm one of you. This is what we're doing here. We're doing this together. We are bringing the word together. In America, we have this like hierarchy thing where we, and rightfully so, we'll give honor to people who have studied and have positions. But at the end of the day, look, I'm standing before God just like you guys. And if I'm not supposed to smoke or drink, your excuse can't be, well, he's a pastor. <laughs> Even board members or deacons have higher requirements, as it were, to have the position, sure. But at the end of the day, we are still all called to righteousness. See, because here's the thing. Nobody really wants righteousness. I do, Pastor Mark. No, you don't. That ain't what the Bible says. The Bible says there's not one righteous. No, not one. Not one who seeks after God. One of my first messages I preached here was on Isaiah chapter 6. And I preached about how anytime you see something repeated twice, it's like really, really important. Verily, verily, I say to you, truly, truly, Moses, Moses, Samuel, Samuel, right? But if something's repeated three times, and there's only one thing in the Bible, which is holy, 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 right? So like the main characteristic of God is his holiness. Now, this thing about there not being anything righteous, 
it's not like repeated three times in a row, but it's actually repeated three times in the Bible. Did you know that Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 are the same psalm? Starts off in verse 1 that says, the fool in his heart says there's no God. But in verse 3, I believe it's around verse 3, it says there's not one who's good. There's not one who seeks after God. There's none righteous. So once in Psalm 14, once in Psalm 53, and then again in Romans chapter 3. Three times in the Bible we see that there is none who is righteous. And there's none who seeks after righteousness. Well, I've been talking a lot about righteousness, but what is righteousness? What is this righteousness, Markel? It is the quality of being right or justified. That's the non-spiritual definition. The quality of being morally right or justified. The spiritual definition is the quality of being morally right or justified in the eyes of God, including your character or your nature, your conscience or your attitude, your conduct, your action, and command your word. Righteousness is based upon God's standard because God is the ultimate lawgiver. Now, we don't always think of that word. We don't always, because I think sometimes we're trying to like not be self-righteous. We don't want to be, we don't want to be sanctimonious and self-righteous and turn our nose up at people. That's being justified in our own eyes. But the scriptures say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they will be filled. The thing is that people always want to know, how can I be more spiritual? How can I be more pious? Piety, meaning devoutly religious. They want to know how to do all these things. They want to know, can, how can I have a better prayer life or devotional life? Or how can I, you know, increase my desire to spend time with the Lord? But those things usually are means to an end. They're not the end goal. They're helpful, but they're not the end goal. The goal is righteousness. And the Bible says that we don't really want it. The scriptures say, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these other things, pastor said last week, God knows you need things. But how do I get it? By seeking righteousness. How can I be sure that I'm going to be able to pay my bills? By seeking righteousness. How can I be at peace in the midst of a, of a world at war and shootings in America? By seeking righteousness. What do I do, Lord? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now that word first in the original Greek is the Greek word protos. Protos. And that Greek word doesn't just mean like first in a sequence of things, like number one, two, three, four, five. Like first I'll seek righteousness, and then I'll seek wealth, and then I'll seek... It's not that. It, it, it does have that a little bit, but mo what it really means, it's first in priority. This is the chief goal of the Christian, is to seek righteousness. Above everything else, what do you need to be about the business of, according to Jesus? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is what we need to be seeking, to be seeking to be right in the eyes of God in your nature, your character, your attitude, your action, and your word. Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We're always concerned about what God's will is. Should I be 
a teacher or should I go to this school or should I live in this house or should I move to this city? But the Bible says that the will of God is your sanctification. God wants righteousness from you. God wants your righteousness. Now, I started off by saying that this sermon is called the righteousness of the Pharisees. And I talked about how Jesus said, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. Otherwise, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. And we, you know, we're like, okay, well, fine, you know, the cross. Or we might think this, oh, that's pretty easy. You know, the Pharisees, those clearly were the bad guys in the New Testament. Those who were the ones who Jesus was always coming down on. If there was any group of people who it should be easier to be righteous than it should be the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they were, they were, they, that's not it. They wasn't it. So we don't worry about it. They're so hypocritical. But where do the Pharisees come from? The Pharisees were not in the Old Testament. They just kind of almost pop up out of nowhere in the intertestamental period. And the Pharisees were living at a time in Israel where the nation of Israel was pretty much completely secularized. They were completely encapsulated and, and influenced by the society that's around. They were, they were something called Hellenized. The Greeks and the Romans came in and pretty much they had done away with following the law and trying to follow the sacrifices. And there was a group of people who decided that they would make their chief goal the pursuit of God and the pursuit of righteousness. You have never met a person in your life today who is more on fire and had a zeal for righteousness like the Pharisees did. They were meticulous at studying the word and living out every single command of God. These guys were, they, the word Pharisee literally means the set apart ones. While everybody else in, in ancient Israel was doing what they were doing and being influenced by the culture, these guys drew a light on the head and said, we will not follow. We will seek after God. We will uphold God's law. They were zealous for righteousness. That was their chief goal. Okay, Pastor Mark, he'll find. They, they, that's how they started, but... By the time the New Testament rolls around, they degenerated so far. They were so hypocritical. You know, Jesus said he was going to send them to hell and all this. So, so, yeah, they started that way, but they didn't end that way. Okay, that, that might be true. But if we look at Matthew 23, what we actually see is in the midst of this kind of fiery kind of like condemnation of the Pharisees, we see that Jesus actually commended them in some ways. So my task for the next couple minutes will be to kind of walk you through this passage and walk you through what it is that Jesus said. First of all, let me just ask, poll by voting, was there anything righteous about the Pharisees? You're kind of like getting ahead of me like, uh, yeah, apparently so, huh? Before I said anything, it's pretty easy to think that the Pharisees, oh, cool, right? I don't, have, I don't have to worry about that. Your righteousness must seek them. You know, they're, they're the teachers of the law. They're lawyers. I mean, how, how hard can it be more righteous than a lawyer? I mean, that's not hard at all. They were blind. Their religion was a religion of externals. And so what I want to do now is take a look at Matthew chapter 23. If you could turn there in the word, I've laid the foundation, I've laid the foundation of what righteousness is, how we need to seek it. But I also want to challenge us, lest we think too highly of ourselves as we move on into this next season of our church. 
If we take a look at Matthew chapter 23, it starts off like this. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but do not practice. Now, isn't that interesting? These hypocritical brood of vipers who can't be saved from hell, do what they tell you to do. So there's something to what they're actually saying. Don't do what they do, but do what they're telling you to do. Verse 4, they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at the feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. So like I said earlier, I'm just a guy. I have the title of pastor, but we're all in this together, amen? And call no man on your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Anybody missing verse 14 in their Bible right now? Anybody missing verse 14? How many people don't have verse 14 here? Yeah, that's what I thought. Some of you probably don't have verse 14. Um, they took that out. So we'll skip it. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. As you know, if you compare different versions and different translations, some people include verse 14 here. But verse 14 actually can be found in another spot. It can be found in the book of Mark, and it can be found in uh, the book of Luke. Um, it says in the book of Mark, it says, they devour widows' houses for a show and make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. So what can we learn about the Pharisees from this? They prayed. Their prayers were all for show. Their prayers weren't really talking to God. They were doing it for the, the, the applause of man. But at least they prayed. How many know that the prayer meeting is probably one of the lowest attended meetings in any given church? Now, we have a prayer meeting. It's called First Wednesdays. And we actually have a pretty darn good turnout. And I know that there are lots of reasons. And we're still not quite over COVID. And there are reasons that people don't come. But aside from First Wednesdays, how often do you pray? Your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. And again, my heart is not to come and condemn you and beat you down. It's to call us to better. The righteousness of the Pharisees, they prayed. It was all for show, but at least they did it. Do you? How, about, how much time do you spend in prayer? Is your prayer quick in the morning? Oh, God bless me as I go. And you're out the door, you know? My kids, we teach them to say a prayer. We, um, it's not very complicated. God is great. God is good. And we thank him for our food. Amen. And my kids now, because they're kids, God's right, God's going to let me there for a funny day. <laughs> and we're like, no. <laughs> Slow down. For them, it's just kind of a thing to do. 
Your righteousness must succeed that of the Pharisees. Their prayers were in vain, but at least they prayed. That was verse 14. That was the one that was skipped. Verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. What do we learn about the Pharisees in this? They were committed to missions. I don't travel that much to preach, but, you know, there are pastors and preachers who do. But if somebody were like, Markel, you know, that, that pay what you owe sermon you did, I, I really like that. Could you come, could you come to me in Maine and, and, and teach, teach that to me? Spend a couple of days and teach me around that passage in Ecclesiastes? I don't know that I'd go. I don't know if I feel like that was worth it for one person to go all across the country. Like, who's paying for it? You know how expensive gas is? Can we Zoom instead? I mean... These guys were committed to, they would go across land and sea themselves. A lot of us here, I'll give you the money and let me know how it goes. (laughs) They were committed to personal evangelism and missions. How much are you? Again, Harvest Church is great. We pay, we, we support, our first offering was a missions offering. I know, I wasn't here, but I've heard about it. So we're committed to missions, but in our individual lives, would you cross the cubicle at work? Will you cross the street to your neighbor? These guys go across land and sea. Your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees, or you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And you, when, you make, when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. They were committed to discipleship. They got in this person's lives and committed and convinced him of their way. They made him more devoted than they were. They discipled the people that they made. How committed are we to discipleship? It's good to have people come up and get saved, but what happens after that? Or the people that we talk to? Again, I'm going to keep saying it because I want you to understand my heart and Jesus' heart to call us to better, to call us to more. Your righteousness must exceed that. Verse 16, woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater? The gold of the temple that has made the gold sacred. And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater? The gift of the altar that makes the gift sacred. So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by whom who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. We talked about this when I preached my sermon called Pay What You All About. Being a person of your word. Do what you say you're going to do. Be where you say you're going to be. And don't make excuses for it. The Bible also says elsewhere, just don't swear. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. They're, they're, they're complicating things. Just, just do what you say you're going to do. They're people of their word. Are we people of our word? Verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy 
and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. They were tithers. They were scrupulous in their tithe. Now, back in those days, the tithe would actually be like livestock or crops. So if they went through a year and they had 10 calves, one of them would be dedicated to the Lord. Or if they were gathering their wheat or whatever, 10% of that would be set aside. And off the top, I might add. This wasn't an afterthought. This was something that happened off the top. But they were so scrupulous that if they came out of their house one day and looked down and they said, oh, there's mint growing there. There's 10 things of mint. They'd, they'd pick one and bring it to the church. Scrupulous, meticulous about making sure all their accounts were balanced. Pastor says, you know, if you get $10, you put a dollar in. How many of you, if you were walking into the church, you looked down and you saw a dime? Mm, cool, cool. How many of you would feel convicted in your heart to get a penny and put it in the offering? The Pharisees would. They would not be able to rest until they had paid their tithe of all of their increase. Harvest Church is an incredibly financially healthy church, large part of thanks to Pastor Perry's leadership. So you're a generous people. But how meticulous are you? How scrupulous are you with your tithe? I got some stats on tithing that, yeah, I do. In 2022, which we're in, so this is very, very recent, tithing statistics reveal that tithing is dismal in the church at large. Overall giving to the church, the big church, has steadily decreased over the last 15 years. Currently, about 5% of churchgoers give a traditional tithe, just a tenth. 5%. They all go to harvest. Isn't that crazy? All 5% of the they all go to harvest. But what that means is that about 95% of people who call themselves Christians systematically and consistently rob God. How am I supposed to make it? How am I supposed to get my bills paid? How am I supposed to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you? Of people who give, of people who actually do give, 80% of them only give 2% of their income. So the average giving is $17 a week from the average person who goes to church. That's about $73.67 a month or $844 a year. I don't know the numbers. I don't know the breakdowns of people. I don't know where you are or, or who does what. I don't know. I don't, I don't get to see that. But you know what you do. Are you meticulous? Are you careful to make sure that all that belongs to the Lord goes to the Lord? The Pharisees did. That brood of vipers and hypocrites, they did. Your righteousness must exceed those. He said that this is what you did. You you neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy. And we feel like we've got that down, don't we? I mean, God, how often do we march and post on Facebook? I mean, we're all about justice, right? We feel like we've got it kind of flipped, right? 
that, yeah, we might not be that great on the tithe. I, I might not tithe like all of it but because I got bills and stuff, but, but I, I'm fighting for the marginalized. I'm standing up for the causes. That's what Jesus would do, right? Jesus said, no, these things you ought to have done. You, 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 gave a, you gave a penny from a dime. You ought to have done that and not neglected the other things. It's not an either or, it's both. But there is a value judgment because Jesus called these other issues weightier. See, the thing about tithing is that's easy. That's like, that's like Christianity 101. That's like the on-ramp. That's just like where it starts. That's the bare minimum. I, Pastor Mark, can I tithe? Great, you've done the bare minimum. Congratulations. <laughs> You ought to have done that. Jesus didn't say, don't worry about it. He said, this diligence, this scrupulousness is what you should have done. Let's not think that we've got, that we major on the majors and minor on the minors because we're supposed to take care of all of it. It's hard to, you know, feel confident that your needs can be met when we're not doing the bare minimum in our own lives. And again, as a, as a church overall, we're great. But I want to challenge you to help you to be better. Yeah. I don't know how much time I have left. I, could, I mean, there's just so much. I said my heart is full, and I, I don't know that I can really take all the time to, to, to do all of this. Verse, verse 25 um, what do you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites? You clean the outside of the cup in the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may also be clean. The thing about the Pharisees is that their, their religion was all external, right? They prayed and it was just for people to see. And, you know, the Bible says don't let your prayers be long for people to see. Or don't, don't just be out there just, oh, Lord, we are. And people sit back going, man, that guy can pray. <laughs> Jesus said, if that's all you want, you got it. It doesn't do you any good other than that. The Pharisees was a religion of externals, and we need to make sure that it sinks down into our hearts, that we're truly seeking the righteousness of God and not just putting on a show of piety. Pastor Perry often says, get into the word of God and let the word of God get into you. I'm going to go ahead and just skip all the way down to verse 37. It says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. So at the end of this passage about you brood of vipers, you hypocrites, this is, this is what you're not doing. Jesus' heart for them was still to gather them together. He sent the prophets to them. He warned them. He, over the years, Israel, they were all, you know, the major prophets, the minor prophets, return to the Lord, do what's right in the Lord's eyes. Be righteous in his eyes and not your own eyes. Jesus, for you, wants to gather you together. He wants you close to him. If we can figure out how to really desire and pursue righteousness, then we'll get the peace of God that passes all understanding. Then we'll get the comfort that we need. Then we'll get the strength that we need. Then we'll have the provision. We'll be able to see God's provision. 
Pastor Marco, so how do I make it through the week? How do I not be worried about what's going to happen? By seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Otherwise, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. So what's your homework now? To just go take stock. To just examine yourselves. To look at it, what it is that you're doing every day, every week. And look at why you're doing what you're doing. Are you doing it so that your neighbors will be impressed? So that you can look good to the people when you come to church? Are you doing it because you want to please God? Are you doing it because you love him? Are you doing it because you understand that by doing those things that God will come up behind you and take care of the needs that you have? Are you seeking righteousness because it's what you're supposed to do? I want to read that psalm again that we read, Psalm 112. If you could pull that up for me just in a second. This is the end of the message. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He's not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting the Lord. How many of you guys want to pursue righteousness? How many of you want to pursue the kingdom of God and the righteousness that he has? The time has passed for us to just be pious. The time has passed for, just, for us to just go through the motions of what church people do. The time for us is now to pursue God's righteousness. And I guarantee you that it'll become easier to kind of like navigate the world that way. Pastor Randy, I was talking to him the other day. He said, it is never the wrong time to do the right thing. So let's do the right thing now. You know, because I'm preaching, I don't have a piano player. <laughs> so. Let's pray this morning. Let's just pray and ask God for his righteousness help him to change our hearts and again my my heart was not to condemn you or to make you feel bad because of what the pharisees may or may not do or you know i'm such a bad christian because i do or don't do that's that's not the heart i do want to kick you into gear but my heart is that you would seek god's kingdom and receive from him so let's pray this morning god we love you so much we thank you, God, for this word that you've dropped in our hearts today, God, calling us to seek first your kingdom and to seek your righteousness. God, it's our desire that we truly would be righteous, 
that we would seek that first and doing that, be able to trust that you have everything else taken control and under your control. God, we're sorry for sometimes just being pious, for sometimes just going through the motions, God. We're sorry for comparing ourselves to other people and looking at them like, like the person in the Bible who says, God, I thank God I'm not like that Pharisee. I don't do that and I don't do this. We, we apologize for sometimes having that attitude and that heart. We ask God that you would cleanse us from unrighteousness. And yes, God, we are clothed with your righteousness because of the work that you did on the cross, God, but help us to now prove that life by walking out the works that you have for us to do. By studying the scriptures, by praying to you with a sincere heart, God, by being committed to the things that you are committed to, to mercy and justice and faithfulness, God, to, 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 to be committed to spreading your word through missions and evangelism and discipleship, but God, also not to forget the easy things like the tithe. God, it's our desire to be righteous and right in your own eyes, and we can only do that with your help. So help us this morning, God. Help us this morning, Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name, and all God's people who agreed said amen. Thank you for joining us once again for this week's sermon podcast. We pray God's blessing on you as you face your day and week ahead. For more videos, messages, and other content, make sure you follow, like, and subscribe to all of our social media accounts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at GoHarvestEG. And be sure to check out our website at GoHarvest.org for the latest information on events and services. Until next time, stay encouraged and don't miss the opportunity to be a blessing to the world around you. God bless. Thank you.